0: Glad you're here this morning. Grateful to God for the opportunity to minister. You know, as a pastor and a shepherd, really an under-shepherd in this congregation, uh, it is my commitment to shepherd and to pastor those who call this place home. And I consider it the greatest privilege and greatest uh, just honor to be able to do so. And so I take the moments uh, that we're about to embark on very seriously. And uh, I just uh, want to say how grateful I am of the opportunity to be able to impart truth and allow God's word to wash over our lives and our hearts and minds as we come expectant to allow God to speak to us. And uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to go through a little bit of an evolution process myself as a pastor. I'm trying to, if you will, balance the tension of trying to become much more practical in my preaching, uh, particularly from a Sunday context. Very practical because. Uh, as I mentioned to you two weeks ago, my heart and desire is to, is, is to allow my life as a sanctifying shepherd to empower people to be overcomers. And obviously that overcoming ability comes on the basis of scriptural truth and understanding, but then the application part, which is often where we're a little bit short or malnourished in our Western world. And so i am um, really been excited about this series, and I pray over these first two weeks has been a blessing to you. It certainly has been to me in study and prep, and then also last week with Resurrection Sunday. And uh, today I want to continue in week number three of this series called God's Will Open the Door. God's Will Open the Door. And um, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open to Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage of Scripture, probably our most familiar New Testament book. Paul's, what we would say, magnum opus, his greatest theological work. It's probably the greatest, it's not probably, it is the greatest uh, Christian theological treatise in the world. Uh, It communicates the totality, really, of the gospel and the gospel's implications, not only for the individual, but also for the community, right? For the city, for the nation, whatever people group we're speaking to. And when you get to Romans chapter 12, which is an interesting juncture in the book, you make a transition, and this passage is so well known and um, I want you to follow along today, Romans 12. In fact, they, they have a QR code. I should have mentioned that as well. I think you'll see the QR code. If you want to follow, uh, this is a very sequential message like it was two weeks ago. I walked you through the steps of closing the door to sin and opening the door to God's will. Today's going to be very sequential. And so that, that message card is available for you virtually if you choose to follow along. Romans 12, just read one verse in our hearing. Verse 2, Romans Chapter 12, verse 2, it'll come up on the screen. Do not conform, the Apostle Paul said, to the pattern of this world. Everybody say pattern. And it is a pattern, right? But be transformed by the renewing. Transform metamorpho, which, you know, the cognate metamorphosis, beautiful process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, by the renewing of your mind. Interesting word, renewing here. It's a Greek word called anakanao, and it's the same word to gut out a house, and start from scratch. The renewing of one's mind, then. That then word, is it's prepositional, it's, it's conjunctive. It connects the previous thought to the next thought. The next thought can't be true unless the first thought is active. All right, And so he says, you will, after you've been transformed, be able to test, and then you're going to be able to prove what God's will is. You're going to be able to open the door to God's will, and actually then test and approve that you're walking in God's will, that you're living in God's will, that you're not camping outside of God's will, that you're not short of God's will, that you're not being underwhelmed in the resurrection life that Jesus has provided, but you're able to actually test and live in that good will. Now, he describes with some descriptors what kind of will it is, lest we don't know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Can somebody say amen? Here's what we're doing today. We're going to take scriptures and the latest scientific research, and I'm going to pull them together into one kind of symphony, if you will, and try to help you regain control of your thinking. Because I hear from so many people, right, pastoring people, engaging people, that they just feel like their mind constantly races and goes to places they don't want their mind to go. And so I want to help you master, if you will, your thinking again. And so I want to talk to you today about replacing wrong patterns of thinking. Now I don't want you to think um, replacing one thought or one moment. I'm talking about replacing entire frameworks, replacing patterns of thinking and replacing those with God's fruitful thoughts for your life. You know, I was thinking about this this week. Meredith and I, we make the trip to my folks' house quite often. My folks' live on uh, about 20 acres, uh, hopefully assuming about 45 more acres uh, in the next few years, right behind them and and just north of Chattanooga, Tennessee in a little area called Sell Creek. And we have to drive. It's a few-hour drive, not not bad, but um, we have to drive to get there, right? And you do that with kids long enough, you learn some sanctification. By the way, let me just say, if you ever wanted God to develop your character, you should take not a two-hour drive, but an eight-hour drive with three small children, all right? You either come out like Mother Teresa or on Xanax, okay? It's really only two options. There really is. So you're either going to be sanctified or you're going to be on anxiety medication. And um, I don't know if you grew up around uh, farming at all, but I personally, my grandfather, my grandparents, we had a farm, or excuse me, a garden every single year at our grandparents' home. And my dad has now become a gardener. He loves it. It's like full-time for him now. He's a beekeeper. He's a gardener. Uh, The other day on St. Patrick's Day, his cow Oreo, one of the large cows, had a little baby and it was on St. Patrick's Day, so he named the baby Clover. And Clover was not able to stand up. Her eyes were a little off to the side. And so my dad took upon himself to start getting milk and formula. And he got in a bottle and he nursed that little cow to life, got it on its feet after about 72 hours. And now he's sending us pictures in group text messages every day of his baby. This is his baby and she's standing up, and front knees are a little wobbly, and so we went and visited last week, and he wanted us to take out, and he's walking through the pasture and yelling out her name, trying to find his baby, and got to show it to the Mosgrove kids, and she's now like a teenager because she's like four weeks old, and so for the first time this last week, she kind of pushed him away with her head because he goes out there every night, and he puts her in a little, little barn area to keep her away from the coyotes, and so she's now like becoming a teenager. I said, dad, she's got hormones just like any other young girl, right, and so But but he's all into farming now. If you know anything about gardening, one of the things that I've learned is is in order for the land to remain fruitful, you have to rotate the crops or you have to change the pattern, meaning that the corn one year is on the north end and on the next year you put the corn on the south end. Because as you move or you change the pattern, it allows the soil to remain fruitful because different crops pull different nutrients, right? Right. Now that's easier said than done, even for farmers, because you're talking about things that have really deep roots and ruts, things that have been dug very deep the whole last previous summer. And so the soil, it just takes a lot lot to actually change the pattern of the soil. Now, Craig, why do you bring that up? I bring that up because our brains work very eerily similar to the farmland that I look at at my parents' house. Your brain is filled with trillions and trillions of thoughts. And they're aligned in what we call hundreds of thousands of rows of thoughts or patterns of thinking. And it's really amazing to consider when you think about the human brain. I don't know that you realize this or not, but your thoughts are not like ethereal. You know this. Your thoughts are not out here. Your thoughts are actually chemicals with electrons, and they have a physical nature to them. So in your brain right now are real thoughts that take up real, real estate space. I'm talking about physical space and the visible world. It's taking up space in the world you and I live in. If you wanted to see what a thought looked like, I found you a little diagram of one. This is what a thought looks like. Show that quick image. This is a thought. Go back. Go back. The structure of a neuron. It's a neuron cell. and, And when you started thinking about something, all right, what determines how big the neuron cell grows is how much you think about it. And the more you think about it, the more the neuron will multiply, the more those cells will increase. And I know you've noticed, if you look at this laying on its side, it kind of looks like a tree. Well, your mind has millions of orchards and orchards, really of trillions of different trees. In fact, Next slide. Your brain is actually, next slide, is a three-pound universe that processes 70,000 thoughts each day using about 100 billion neurons that I just showed you that connected about 500 trillion points through synapses that travel about 300 miles per hour. That's what's taking place in the human brain every second that brain receives oxygen, right? Once life has entered that brain, okay? In fact, next slide, let's just look at this for a moment. It's really fascinating. You're the three-pound three universe. It generates enough electricity to power a light bulb, okay? 100 billion neurons, 500 trillion synapses, 300 miles an hour of speed. When you think, when you see, when you move, billions of neurons are electrically racing. It gets better with use. It's what we call neuroplasticity. Your brain can always change. We've not always known this in science, but now we know this. It creates thoughts. It drives all emotions in the human experience. It stores all memories of life. It's resilient. Uh, It's neuroplasticity allows it to adapt. It works 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? It does not turn off when one goes to sleep. It directs all the involuntary responses, the breathing, the heart, everything. Your brain is remarkable. So let's think for a moment. These neurons also operate like a tree. I want to show you a little cartoon. Next slide. Let's assume this is a thought in your mind, in your life. Now, the branches for a moment are going to represent your conscious thinking. That's the conscious reality. So, like what you're thinking, what you're acting, what you're doing, what you're saying, whatever related topic. Okay, so we're talking about this today. So, right now, that's, that's your branches, okay? The trunk there represents what we call your subconscious thinking. So that's memories, that's feelings, okay? Emotions that are tied or support your behavior are in the trunk, okay? Now, you may not be feeling them right now consciously, but they're subconsciously stored. And then the roots is st- they start when you, ha- you receive a piece of information or you have an experience. So, so let me say it this way. At some point, someone said something to you, you read something, you heard something, you experienced something, and it planted a thought. And then your repeated thinking about that thought caused it to chemically grow and sprout as a neuron. And then the more you thought about it, The more you've acted on it, the larger the branches and the leaves of your thought have become. Now you say, Craig, why is that important? Well, this is important because, listen, what was once a sapling for some of you is now a giant sequoia. What started about 10 years ago as just being a a side thought has now become an obsessive thought. It's now become a sequoia that has built itself in your experience of life and experience of relationships. Now, the reason it's so difficult to change a human is because you're trying to uproot something with a massive root structure. And that root structure started from the time that human was created in utero, not out of utero, it's in utero. It can already pick up on feelings, it can already pick up on emotions of the parent, It's already being processed the moment life starts. Now, every time I think, it's strongly reinforced chemically and that every time you behaved in a certain way, said something for a long period of time. And so from this, I kind of want to warn you of two things this morning. One is you better watch out what you put in your mind. You really better watch out what you think about because your brain and your brain's formation is affected by who speaks into your mind. But you also need to understand this. That the more you think about it, the deeper the roots get and the stronger the trunk gets. Let me say it this way. You ready? Your reality is based on the thoughts you have chosen to grow in your life. Now, I know we don't like that. We don't like to take responsibility for where we are in life, right? We often want to blame someone else. We often want to blame circumstances. Those things do contribute, but listen to me. Nothing shapes your reality more than the thoughts you've chosen to grow in your mind. Like, for instance, if you think on God, true, faith-filled thoughts, you're going to eat good fruit day after day after day. You think on toxic, poisoned, wrong realities, polluted thoughts, you're going to eat the bitter fruit of that life. Because what you think about is what grows, and what grows determines how you believe, how you talk, how you act, all those things. Now, I don't think there's any better picture of this in Scripture than in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers chapter 13. Let me give you context for a moment. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel have been uh, been given a liberator. His name is Moses, the prophet of God. He comes to them, about 2 million of them, and he says, God's got our back. We can walk out of slavery in Egypt. So they leave under God's miraculous hand. Now, it takes 10 miracles. It takes 10 signs to do so, plagues. They walk out, and maybe you've heard this before. They walk through the Red Sea, which is another miracle, and then they end up in a wilderness. But the wilderness is not their destiny destination in God's plan. God had a promised land for them or a nation for them to become. He wanted them to become a nation. So the wilderness was just meant to be preparation for the promise they were going to receive. So they live out there. They get a little bit organized. And God says, okay, it's time for you to take the promised land, go across the Jordan to the land of Canaan, the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, what we call modern-day Israel, right? Going into the West Bank on up into Jerusalem. And so what God says is Moses is going to send 12 spies into this area to do some reconnaissance. He wants to know ahead of time. He wants to see who's in there. He wants to see, is the land actually fertile as God claims to be? You know, we have every reason to doubt God, right? He's always been faithful to us every day since he called us. So we might as well just go ahead and doubt him and just ask the question, is it really as fruitful as you claim? Like, will we survive there? Before I march two million people into this place, I want a little information, Moses says. So the Bible tells us that 12 spies go in, they spend some time there, and they pull together all this information, they coalesce it, they come back, and they give a report to Moses, the leader, and the whole nation about what they saw. I want to show you that report. Let's read the report of Moses or the 12 spies to Moses. Numbers chapter 13, start with me, verse 25. At the end, watch this, of 40 days, everybody say 40 days. At the end of, come on, say it with me. You, you're going to need to. You need to remember that. At the end of what? They're important. They returned from exploring the land, and they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Quran. and there they they reported them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So watch this. They come back not just with stories, but with proof of what God has said. They're holding in their hands physically the proof of God's words verbally. They, they come back holding produce. They come back showing, hey, this is everything. We're going to thrive there. But in spite of what they're holding, their words begin to reframe what they saw. It says that they gave Moses this account. Watch this. Hey, we went into the land which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit of it. But the, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, Moses, and they're very large. And the men who had gone up with him, they said... We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they continue, and they say this, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Watch this. They spread a bad report about a good land. And they said this land, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. You know, in those, that land is inhabited by huge people. We seem so inferior compared to them. And they go on to say this. You know the phrase. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked like grasshoppers to them. Now, this is a result of this. The result of this wrong report spreads and God's people decide in the wilderness, I'm not going to follow God. They say we don't want to go in the promised land if it's like this. This reaction so displeases God. He says, okay, because of your unbelief and because of your lack of trust, listen, what I'm going to do is no one, not one single person, including Moses from this current generation will go into the promised land. I will wait and make you wander until every last one of you dies in the wilderness. And then I will take your kids into the promised land. Now, I don't know about you, you're not supposed to read that quickly and think, okay, let's go to the next chapter. You're supposed to ask the question, like, how in the world does this happen? Like, how in the world do humans to get to this place? I mean, they've heard God speak, they've heard and seen God give 10 plagues, they're holding physical proof of his promise, and by the way, not one single enemy ever engaged them. They don't come back to Moses and say, those people that thought we looked like grasshoppers, they, they just resisted us. No, they completely missed out on a good land because of a bad pattern of thinking. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. How does this happen? It didn't just happen overnight. I actually believe if the spies would have went in the land for three days and come out, they would have been uneasy, but the children of Israel would have taken the land. I think the key to the passage is what we read at the very beginning. Forty days. Forty days of rehearsing and taking a seed of inferiority. Day by day, watering the seed of inferiority, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, watering that seed of inferiority that watered it until it grew to a powerful tree of fear that they could no longer see God's promise through the branches of their poison thinking. Their patterns have now destroyed their ability to walk in God's will. Now listen, here is the old age debate between Calvinists and Arminian. This is one I often bring up in the debate. Was it God's will for the older generation to go into the promised land? Yes, but they forfeited that. They forfeited it. By their wrong thinking, by their inability to, to speak a good report, it changes the door of God's will. They don't enter into God's will. Oh, their kids do. They camp outside of God's will. Now, when people try to say, oh, it doesn't really matter. It's all about sovereignty and you can't miss God's will if... Hmm. So so the narrative of Scripture begs to differ. They're not moving into God's will. They're staying outside of God's ultimate will. Listen, this tree of unbelief was so powerful, it negated what God said. And it caused them to live outside the promise that God had for them, outside of God's will. Now, I bring this up because I think, I just do, I think a lot of us, many of you today, you're here today, And you are living or camping outside of God's promise for your life. You're camping outside of joy. You're camping outside of a deep-seated happiness. You're camping outside of community. You're camping outside of the freedom that Jesus died to secure on your behalf. You're camping outside of whatever the issue of your heart is. And it's not that you don't want it. I know you want it. It's not that you don't desire it. I know you desire it. It's not that you don't hear me talk about it. You hear me talk about it. It's not that you don't know it's a promise. You know it's a promise. You haven't been able to enter it at all. And it's listen to me, it's not because of an enemy. I know we tend to, in super spiritual circumstances, think it's an enemy that's fighting against us. It ain't no enemy fighting against you. It's not an attack. It's not an attack that's coming to get you. It's not because of a circumstance that's happened in your family, your parents, your life. It's because in your mind... You have allowed a massive pattern that is opposite of God's thinking to grow in your mind. and the sad part about where you are, listen, if you're in this place is you've got you've got proof of God's faithfulness like like these spies had proof like your kids are healthy, like your bills are paid right now, like God's provided. He's provided and he said he would your, your, your his pattern would govern your life and it's causing you now because you're unable to. Appropriate that truth in your mind, you're living outside of what God has for you. You're you're camping outside the will of God. So, the way I look at it is this you just got two options. That's it. You either remain trapped outside the camp or you replace that pattern. That's it. You remain trapped or you replace. Now, let me say it this way I'm not saying your feelings are not real, I'm not saying that your circumstances did not happen in the past. But I'm saying, listen to me, and I want you to hear me clear, clearly. I'm saying you have never lost control of your thinking. Listen to me. It's always been under your control. Your thinking is your control, your responsibility. It's always going to be under your control. You hold the steering wheel of your mind, which means that today, watch this, you can choose to stop feeding an unfruitful pattern, and you can start allowing God to process a transformation in your mind that leads you to a fruitful life. Listen to me, there's never been a moment that God has not offered you to start thinking differently and according to His Word. So I want to help you today. If you want to make that choice, because the promise that's available to you is found in Romans 12 too. Let's read it again. Maybe you've heard it before. Do not conform to the pattern of this world's thinking, but be come on, show me that slide, Romans chapter twelve. But be transformed by Pastor Craig praying over you at the end of the gathering. But be transformed by the magic wand they keep in the back. We'd actually don't have a back. It'd be outside. No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then what? You're able to test or approve what God's will is, and His will is going to be good and pleasing and perfect. You're going to be able to know when it's your time to walk in that promise. So listen, it's all about renewing. Now, let me talk to you about renewing, okay? Here's the thing about renewing that i got to get you to grasp. Renewing first is not a pill. Not a pill. Renewing first is not an escape. Renewing is not a prayer. Renewing is this. roll up your sleeves, and get to work. It is called sweat equity. Renewing your mind. Listen to me. I want to I challenge you here. There, the Scriptures actually never one time in all of the biblical witness present our minds being changed by anything other than us getting into the soil with shovels and digging out what we actually believe. It's going to take some effort, but guess what? It's also going to take some time. It takes time to change. You don't, go, you don't grow trees overnight. So, I, so it's going to take a little time if you can take responsibility. Watch this. And you can fight off impatience. And what's the sin of the American public? Impatience. So if you can fight off impatience and take responsibility, you can live a fruitful life. So I want to teach you today, just train you up, just sit very practical on what you got to do to be able to do that. And we're really picking off where we left off two weeks ago. Okay. Two weeks ago, we talked about ultimately closing the door to sin, opening the door to God's will. I know you thought this week, I'm going to now walk in God's will, but we're not there yet. That's where we'll be two weeks from now. Two weeks, we'll talk about actually, how do I know I'm in it? Right now, we're going to talk about the second part that prevents us from moving to God's will, and that's, that's camping. That's wrong thinking. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you have to recognize the root of wrong thinking. You got to recognize the root of wrong thinking. You say, Pastor Greg, I don't even know how to get control of my mind yet. The bad thoughts, the poison, it's just too much. Here's what I learned in pastoring people. Everybody wants to change. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to change. And I don't know anybody that honestly doesn't really try to change at some point, but what I know is this, is that when we try to change, we often just end up reverting back to what we used to do. How many of you have ever tried to change and you reverted back to the things that you've always done? How many of you have been a, a... Okay, all right, just making sure I'm talking to humans today. All right. It works for a little bit, then it stops working, and here's why. You ready? It's because we have a tendency to work on behaviors and not beliefs. So, so picture this. We're trying to take down a tree by taking off a branch, and it don't make any sense. Anybody try to take down a sequoia by pulling off a leaf? Okay, it don't work that way. You, you don't get rid of redwood trees by messing with branches you got to get rid of a sequoia by getting to the root and stop fooling with the fruit of the problem. Okay, I want you to grasp this for yourself because I think a lot of you, you spend a lot of time trimming branches and you've never seen any change. And so what that looks like in your life is this. Okay, Let's say today your problem, your behavior, your issue it, you want to change is gossip. You're a gossip. Now how many are you're here today and you're gossips? You're just gossip. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, Gossip is your issue. Okay, let's assume gossip. That's that's it for you. You just talk bad about your boss. You know, when she's not around you, you talk bad about your friends. You talk bad about what they wear. You you certainly talk about how other people in the church parent their kids different than the way you parent their kids, your kids. And so you share that. You do it under the guise of Connect Group leadership, but nonetheless, you 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 still do it. And gossip's your issue, right? And the minute somebody tells you something that say you shouldn't share it, what do you do? Just just you share it. It's just what kind of gossips do. They just share it. Okay, now if you're a Christian, you call it prayer request, right? I get it. You get in a group and you call them, hey, yeah, I got a prayer request. Can you put sister so-and-so on the prayer request? Now you ain't gonna pray. That's not the point. In the South, you just put them on the list. And list means it's just give the ability to gossip about so-and-so's issue, right? Okay, so at the end of the day, it's gossip. In the ends of God, eyes of God. So let's say finally the Holy Spirit leads you to this idea that man, I got to change. This is not honoring God anymore, and I'm ready to see a change. Okay, I want to live a different life. So you decide, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not. I'm going to make myself not gossip. I'm going to control this tongue. And so you get to the office, and somebody says, "Hey, did you hear anything about?" And you're like, "Nah, nah, 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 nah and you run away from that kind of person. Right? You're good, but you didn't gossip. Well, you can go a couple of days doing that. You can go. You can actually go a couple of weeks sometimes with that behavior modification. But eventually, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, this is going on. It's some secret. Now, Now, don't tell anybody. I just want you to pray about it. I'm giving it to you so you can just pray about it. And, and, and what happens is, I, I want to tell. And, and, and the next day, you end up spilling the beans, and you're frustrated with yourself. And so now you're in this kind of cycle, like, why did I do that? I didn't want to do this. I don't want to do it, God. Why am I doing this? Let me tell you why you did it. Can I tell you? Because you're fooling around with behavior instead of the belief that says, I've got to put others down before they see my own inferiorities. See, you didn't know that's why the behavior was there, but that's why it was there. So so you dealt with the behavior without the belief. I need to point out someone else's less thans before they find my less thans. See, the fruit is gossip, but the root is insecurity. And we're trying to control our mouth when the problem's in our heart. So you get to the root of these things. For instance, today if you're here, focus with me right here. If you're here, an angry outburst are a part of who you are. That's the fruit, but the root is that you think you can only be happy when you're in control. And when people in your orbit get outside of what you can put your hands on, you burst. See, see the, the root is control. The fruit is anger. Some of you are here today, and you just cannot say no. You have an inability to say no. That's the fruit, but the root is that you think if you're agreeable, you learned it from your family. If you're agreeable, you'll be accepted, and you always want to be accepted, so you agree to do things you don't want to do and then live in bitterness towards the people you already said yes to but didn't tell them to their face. See, See, the root is this sense of insecurity and acceptance. The fruit is an inability to say no. Some of you here today, you have an irrational fear you're living with. That's the fruit. Like, why am I scared of this? It doesn't make any sense. But the root is you live with shame because of your past and you assume that at some point in your past, because you did something wrong, God's going to punish you in the future for what you did in the past. So now I'm living with the fruit of fear that has a root of wrong thinking. So, so my aunt and uncle, they, they live, they're both now... Past. They lived for my entire childhood in the city of, uh, of High Point, Georgia. Her neighbor, she lived on several acres, but her neighbor wanted to plant some exotic yard, uh, plants in, in his yard, so he planted bamboo. Now, anybody ever been around bamboo before? It's like one of the most invasive species on the planet, okay? So it didn't take long for his yard to become my aunt and uncle's yard, Okay. And so they're now one in the same yard. And I would spend a lot of time with them. I remember going out there, like, you know, what do I know? I'm a little kid, and we're out there with a machete with my Uncle Elgie. And we look like Rambo, right? Those Rambo days. We're cutting back, and the more we cut it back, the thicker it gets. And I remember, you know, even before you had Google, right? Be, you you look at the solution and here's here's what Google says now. When you actually try to fight and dig with bamboo, you have to dig much, much deeper than all the other plants because you have to expose every root and you have to sever every root. If you leave just a little bit, it's gonna grow back, right? And and this is how potent it is. So you gotta dig deep, 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 deep. And then you gotta sever every single root. And and in the instruction manual, literally on Google, it says this: all you need is a shovel and some sweat. Now, listen to me. To get the process started of renewing in your mind, all you're going to need is a shovel and some sweat. Now, can I tell you what the shovel is? The shovel is one word. Why? What do you mean, Craig? why do I act this way? Why do I keep giving in this sin? Why in the world am I talking to my spouse this way? Why in the world do I keep feeling like this? Why i have always in this? Why do I feel this way? Why do I do that? Why do I believe that about these people? Why do I constantly have this thought in my mind about that group of people? Why am I always engaging this person this way? Why? Why? And if I will, why, 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 and you keep digging and digging, listen, all you need for change is just persistence that's not going to give up at excuses and not going to give up at, well, I'm a victim and, and, My mom's always been that way, so therefore I'll always be that way. No, no, if you give into that, you'll live outside God's will. You dig, you dig, you dig, you dig until you expose every root. Listen, all I'm saying is this. Next slide. Until you can identify the why, you can never overcome it. You can never overcome it. Until I can get to the why, God help me get to the why. Some of you, listen, you're going to waste your entire life trimming branches when you need to get a root of the issue so you can live an actual fruitful life. Okay, now, now, here's the second one. You have to, number two, replant God's thinking. You got to replant God's thinking. All right, let's do an exercise. You ready? Those that are streaming live today, you can follow along with me. All right? I want, I want you right now, everybody in the room, you got to do it. You got to do it. I want you to think of a red truck. I'm going to know if you don't do it. All right? Do it. Do it. Sir, do it. No, I'm just kidding. All right? I want everybody to think of a red truck. Everybody think of a red truck. Think of a red truck. Everybody think of a red truck. Think of a red truck. Red truck. Red truck. Think of a red truck. Everybody think of a red truck. Are you thinking of a red truck? You thinking of a red truck? Red truck, red truck. Think of a red truck. All right, you ready? Quit thinking about a red truck. Quit thinking about a red truck. Quit thinking about a red truck. Red truck, quit. Stop thinking about a red truck. It's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible. Can I get you to stop thinking about a red truck? Yes, I can. Watch this. You ready? Start thinking about a yellow car. Start thinking about a yellow car. Start thinking about a yellow Think about a yellow car. Think about a yellow car. You see a yellow car? Think about a yellow car. Think about a yellow car. Folks, this is a simple exercise for a really powerful truth when it comes to your mind. Next slide. You can't ever stop a thought. You can only replace it. You cannot really stop them. You can only replace them. You have to take whatever previous thought is present and replace it with a new thought. Which means, listen to me, it does no good to take every thought captive if I don't plant a victorious thought where the other one was defeated. So, listen, that's our problem. You ready? Our problem is we're fighting thoughts instead of planting freedom. We're not called to fight thoughts, we're called to plant freedom. I'm called every day to plant the freedom that I want to live in, to plant the seeds of the fruit that I want to eat. So what that means is that I'm only able to get victorious thoughts in one place. It's called the mind of Christ. The scripture calls it the only place to get true thoughts, real thoughts. I mean, absolutely, 100%, always dependable thoughts is the mind of Christ. And I got good news for you this morning. Luckily, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let's read it together, verse 16. You have been given the mind of Christ. We have in God the mind of Jesus Christ. That word mind is this Greek word noema. We have the understanding. We have the pattern of thinking of Jesus. Now listen, we've been given the mind of Christ. So now I know some of you are like, pastor, I don't think like Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. If you knew what was happening up here, you would blush. I mean, it's crazy up here. Well, you're reading it wrong. Watch this. It doesn't say we have the mind of Christ like it possesses us. It's not, I follow Jesus and now I'm a zombie for him. That's not what the text means at all. It means this, you have the mind of Christ in your possession should you ever choose to use it. You have in your possession the understanding of Jesus should you ever want to use it. You say, Craig, well, what's the mind of Christ? Oh, that's easy. It's the word of God. You say, well, no, no, no. I thought the Bible was a book. Jesus was a person. Oh, That's true. But do you know what John says when he intros Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14? He says, Jesus coming into the world is what? The Word of God becoming flesh. Jesus put on flesh to show us what it's like to live out what the book says. So if you want to know what Jesus thinks, you read the Bible. But if you want to know how to live the Bible, you look at Jesus. They're one and the same. You can't In the dichotomy, you can't separate them from one another. It's the Bible is teaching me what Jesus thinks, and Jesus then shows me how to live the Scripture or the truth. So this is why, by the way, Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, if you read the Gospels, it's just all through it. When Jesus is worshiping, Scripture flows from His lips. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, Scripture flows from His lips. When Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees, Scripture flows from His lips. When Jesus is praying, Scripture flows from His lips. When Jesus is crucified on a cross the Scripture flows from His lips. Why? Because He's the Word made flesh. Which is also, by the way, when you read the Bible, look at me, look at me, you're not just reading a book. You are engraving Jesus on your brain. That's what makes it supernatural, by the way. What do you mean? It's not page and ink, it's the Word of God. The living, watch this, Son of God comes into your mind and pulls down wrong thoughts and releases right thoughts and renews your brain. Now, I have counseled enough of you that years after you've been in cycles of defeat, you've told me, I've now been in a cycle of victory, Pastor Craig. And this is what you said. Uh, I've always known I was supposed to read the Scripture daily, but I, even though in the last few years I've told people that I've been consistent, this is like my only first season where I've been like washing my brain every 24 hours with the Word of God. And all of a sudden, my life is changing. Ding, 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 ding. ding. Why? Because the Jesus, Son of God, is becoming engraved in your neurons. It is a supernatural process of renewing the mind. Science shows us, you don't believe me, go look it up, that people who read the Scripture, the formation of their actual brain changes because there's a supernatural quality to it. But there's there's something to it. I guess I'll put it this way. You can't just read it. you got to plant it. Now listen, one of the ways to live like Jesus is to internalize Scripture so that when we're cut, it spills out. I never forget my intro to theology teacher who became my systematic theology teacher. He was one of the only few. He's like, there's been eight PhDs given at at Yale for the specific emphasis and concentration he had. Brilliant man, still a brilliant man, but he's a churchman. he's a statesman, he's a lovely man i never forget, he told me the story of him being in his PhD work, his, his doctoral work, and he was in a Catholic university where he was surrounded with all kinds of faith traditions. And, you know, most of the Protestants would come into class, those young bucks, and they would always think down upon the, the Roman Catholics, the Catholic brothers and sisters, right? They did not know justification by faith through grace alone, right? And it's a gift of God. And, Mariology and venerology and veneration worship, all these things. And so he would come into class and he said, and he had to take a really short, like 12, or excuse me, like a two week semester intensive class on the Psalms. And he said, when we got in the class, it was 20 something people in the class. And he said, there was two or three nuns that were in their eighties that were in the back of the class and they weren't auditing the class. They were taking the class on Psalms. And he said, they'd never say anything and He said, all of a sudden, like second week, we had this assignment where we all had to go take the Psalters and write our own psalms. You couldn't quote the psalms. You had to write your own psalm, and he walked them through the process. He said, we came back into class and turned them all in, and then the professor got in front of us, and he began to read. And the game was, once you read the psalm, you tried to, based upon your prior knowledge of relationships, point out who wrote each psalm. He said they read the first few, and they were good he said they got to like the third or fourth one and they started, the professor started reading this and like everything in the room shifted. I mean, like people are crying. Like this is unbelievably beautiful. Speaking of God's truth and the experience and the tensions of human experience. And he gets to the end and said, anybody know who wrote that? And no one is able to make a guess. Finally, a kid lifts his hand and he's like, oh, it's my friend. And Dr. Cross said, no, it's not it at all. And the teacher said, I, I have to ask, because there was no names on him. I have to ask, like, who in the room wrote this psalm? And one of the 85-year-old nuns in the back lifted up her hand cheapishly, said, ma'am, how did you write this? And she said, professor, for the last 55 years of my life, I've woken up at 3 a.m. and memorized and read the psalms for 55 years. When you cut me, I just bleed psalms. If you can get to a place where you internalize Scripture like that, your life will never be the same. you will never be the same. The internalization of God's truth that gets ingrained and engraved upon my heart, my mind, my conscience, my, heart, my life, it transforms every part. So listen, I, I don't know a ton about horticulture, but I know this much. If I want corn, i got to plant corn. I don't plant corn to get tomatoes, okay? So that means if I want to overcome a specific issue, I've got to plant a specific verse. That's the way this works. So I want to show you very practically, okay? I'm training you today. Let's say your issue is you've come to the conclusion, you wouldn't admit it to anybody, but you've come to the conclusion that you're an overprotective parent, okay? So you're a helicopter parent. All right, so we're going to show you on the screens here, and let's walk through this just for a moment. Like you, you bubble wrap your kid when he goes out, okay? Uh, you still cut up his food and he's 15, okay? <laughs> so you cut it up for him on the bar in the evenings. You, you know overprotective parents, right? A lot of helicopter parents in our day and age. And you're wondering, why am I like that? Well, let me tell you why you're like that. Next slide, here's your thought, okay? Your thought is by being in control... I can keep my kid from pain. Like if I can control him enough and his circumstances, then I can keep him from adversity or her from adversity. Chances are, by the way, this was planted. I'm not blaming you. It was planted because you experienced pain as a kid. But this is your thought. So here's what you got to do. You've got to go dig up your thought. It takes, oh man, intentional effort. You have to dig and sever and you have to replace it and replant God's thought, God's throat. Now, what is God's thought? Obviously, this is not true. Can't protect your kid. Here's what God's thought is from John 16, 33. This is what God's thought is. I have told you these things Jesus said that you may have peace, but in this world, you're going to have trouble. Listen to me. There's nobody strong enough. There's no parent good enough. There's no parent wise enough. There's no parent capable enough to protect your kids from having trouble. Your child's going to have trouble. Your child's going to be in the throes of difficulty and adversity. Your child's going to go through some hard, difficult times. There's nothing you can do as a parent to keep them from that. But take heart, Jesus said, I've already overcome anything your child's going to face. So the result of this is no longer that I live worried. I Live by peace now, because no matter what I face and no matter what my kids face, God's already overcome whatever it is they face. Listen, it's where it's it's this reality where my limits end, God's limits continue. And if I don't get to that place of replanting that truth, no matter what anybody says to me, I'll live short of God's will in that area of my life. I'll live short. I'll camp outside the door. I'll never walk in the freedom he died to give me. Okay, let's say your issue's overspending. All right, just overspending. You're here today, credit cards are maxed out, they're piling up. You know your first name basis with Amazon. The Amazon delivery man knows your name. All right, it's a problem, okay? It's a problem. So here's what you got to do. You got to dig, 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 dig. And what you'll do is you'll dig to the root. And here's what the root will be. Your thought is, next slide, if I had more, then I'd be happy. The acquisition of more, the American dream. I'm only happy for the 10 seconds when that box arrives, and then I go back to not being happy. Okay, well, if that's the root, once I dug up the root, I then have to get God's truth and replant it. Well, what is the replanting of that truth? Oh, here it is. Let's plant Hebrews 13.5. It says, keep your lives free, lives free from the love of money. Listen, Money's not a problem. When money has you, it's a problem because your steps, he said, are ordered of the Lord, not your bank account. Your bank account doesn't order your steps. The Lord orders your steps. Notice this. So he says, "'Keep free from the love of money and be content.'" with what you have. But I can't be, oh, content. Oh, yes, you can, because God has said what? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the reality is that God can give you what Amazon delivers could never deliver. That he's always present. He's always given. He's always protecting. Listen to me. God can touch the deep places in your heart that no labels on your clothes could ever touch. He can touch the deep places in your soul that nothing on the outside could ever deal with. And so I have to get to the Root of the wrong thinking, pull up the root and replant God's truth. I'm telling y'all, y'all, this practice saved my life. I'm not talking about spiritually saved my life, I'm talking about saved my life. Something I still practice to the day. Today, I read scriptures that I keep in my journal just to combat certain thoughts. Y'all know the story. September 2018, I got to a place I was just overwhelmed. I had this one residual thought, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. I cannot live like this. I can't make all these decisions. I can't live with this anxiety. It's just too much, too much on the schedule, too many people, too much at stake, too many dollars. God, I am not strong enough. I can't do this. And it's just this pervasive thought, I cannot do this. I was anxious about this for days, months. And so listen, friends, one day I got so fed up with it. I'm desperate. I just go to God and I say, God, you're going to have to change me. And I prayed to God sincerely and said, fix whatever it is. And guess what? He did nothing. Then I did it again and he did nothing again. Then I, then I fasted with it. And guess what he did? Nothing. So then I went back and said, well, I'm going to pray some more. He did nothing. Nothing. Still is anxious, still is bothered, nothing. So I said, okay, well, I'm just gonna do what I know to do. So I go to the Bible reading plan, chapter one, done. Chapter two, done. Chapter three, get to a one text in one verse. Jumps off the page. Here's the verse. First Timothy, chapter one, verse twelve. I think Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work he considered me trustworthy he did that's the god of the universe considered me his creation trustworthy and appointed me to serve him he knew all my shortcomings and instead he still appointed me to serve him but, but this is one of my top verses still in my notes and here's what i learned because peace came as a result of this verse here's why you ready I had rejected all kinds of thoughts, but I hadn't replaced them. When you only go through life rejecting thoughts, you get worn down. But if you learn to plant a verse in the place where the thought used to be, fruitfulness starts to be born and bloom in your life. And listen, when you can start to plant a verse, there's a verse for every victory. When you can put a verse in the place that the lie used to reside... You have just opened the door to allow God's will to bloom in your life. Listen, I don't know what your issue is, but I know there is a verse for every victory. You need a verse for every victory, so listen to me. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You just have to know the next verse that gives you victory over the problem you currently face. Now, it's not, it's not just getting it, though. Last step, third step, finally. We have to repeat God's thinking until we see results. You got to repeat God's thinking until you see results. Remember that repetition is what built the tree. So repetition is what's going to grow the next tree. It means that I can't just read, okay? I can't just read the text. I have to internalize the text. So let me say it this way Psalm 119, verse 11, is an illustration of this. Here's what he says, okay? I used it two weeks ago, and we we'll used a different translation. Psalm 119, verse 11 says this I have thought much, not like I thought one time, not I thought for two days. I have thought much about your words, and I stored your words in my heart, watch this, so that they would hold me back from sin. Now, I'm a reader, y'all. You know what that means? When I first came to Christ, I read ferociously through Scripture, but I, I would like to read all kinds of theology about what Scripture says more than even Scripture at times. Well, that's just taking what somebody has already chewed up from the Scripture and then vomiting out puree into my mouth. Well, that doesn't Give me the ability to grow. i got to actually use my own teeth. i got to break my molars in. i got to get my incisors moving. i got to engage the text myself. And he says, notice this. You've got to realize this. Let me, let me say it this way. Sin is not bad behavior. Sin is thinking opposite what God thinks. You say, no, sin is what I do. No, sin doesn't start with something I do doesn't start with something bad. Remember, behavior is just the fruit of a belief. So sin doesn't start with behavior. Sin starts with the wrong beliefs. And so what he's saying is, listen, I thought so much about my problem, but then I thought so much about about your word, and I thought so much about it that it finally actually internalized in me that when I went to do the wrong behavior, now this is not God's will, this is the wrong behavior, when I went to do that wrong behavior, your word, it's your word inside of me that gripped me and kept me from doing an unfruitful thing. Now, Craig, how in the world does that happen? Well, it's found in a little word that we think is weird in the Western world. It's the word meditation. Now, listen to me. Meditation is not go get your yoga mat, okay? Meditation is one of the most misunderstood and underutilized biblical principles. It'll be the difference between victory and defeat in your life. Meditation does is this. It allows me to focus on what God's saying Until it moves from my mind into my spirit, into my heart, into my conscience. See, what meditation does is it moves from my mind into my my spirit, my soul, my consciousness. It becomes a part of who I am. Let me say it this way. This is huge today because, listen to me, Scripture today is easier than ever to access but harder than ever to absorb. What do you mean, Craig? we got people who have Scripture in their pocket living in defeat. Scripture in their pocket living in cycles of defeat. Why? Because it's not an access issue. It's an absorption issue. It's an absorbing issue. It's not getting access. It's absorbing. It's internalizing. We own more Bibles than we've ever owned and we're still living less than what God ever had for us. It's not access. It's Absorption. Absorbing is the issue, so we got to get to a place where, watch, we focus repeatedly. Focus repeatedly until it becomes a part of who I am. Now you say, how does that work? What does that look like? Well, let me show you. Very practical. You ready? Let's say today your issue is fear. Let's say you came here with fear today. You were hoping to leave with somebody praying for you and meet you in your connect group this afternoon, lay hands on you with some oil, and your fear is going to be gone. Fear is ruling your life, just reigning in your life. Okay, I got a a verse for you. You know it. 2 Timothy 1, 7. You know the verse. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Right? I know people who read this verse and still live in fear because they have access to this verse, but they don't absorb this verse. So here's what you're going to do. What you're going to do if you have fear is you're going to take this verse, and tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to read it. For God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then what you're going to do at lunch is you're going to say, Lord, before I eat my lunch, I'm going to read this scripture. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Then you can do it at dinner. It's time to eat dinner. Lord, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Listen, we're not going to read a bunch of chapters. I'm just reading one verse because i got one problem. And so I'm going to lead the one verse for the fear problem. Then day two, here's what you're going to do. You're going to wake up and say, you know what? I need to do that again. I need to do that again. So God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know what? Today, days two, I'm going to write it out because when I engage my myself in writing, science tells me that my retention and memory retention goes up because I've now created a second neural pathway, not from just my mouth, but now to my hand. And so I've created a new neuron. So might as well build it up more. So I'm going to write it out. But you know what on that, I'm actually going to read it out loud because research tells us that when we verbalize things, it activates auditory cells in our own ears that hear back for our own voice, which builds thoughts quicker. So I can actually study my test this way. I can study God's word this way. So I'm going to read God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power, love and a sound mind. And I'm going to keep doing it. And then on day three, I'm going to wake up and say, God, not give me a spirit of fear, but a power. Okay, Pastor Craig said I should do this. All right, God's not give me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Well, I don't feel any different on day three with Pastor Craig. He's so full of it. I don't even know if I'm gonna go to church this next Sunday. But on day four, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna get up and you're gonna go, God's not give me a spirit of fear. Fear? And the Spirit of God will strike you. What What am I fearful about? Well, I'm fearful about my kids. I'm fearful about my bills. I'm kind of scared of what's going on at work right now. I'm kind of fearful about what's going on in the news. But God's not giving me fear. But a power of love and a sound mind, next day you're going to get up and God's not giving me a spirit of fear. Whoa! whoa, whoa, now I know the specific fears. Now I know the fears. I got them pinpointed. We're talking about and what has he done? He's given me power. What kind of power? Well, I heard that God's power is unlimited. Yeah, it is actually unlimited. That's what they told me. It's hard to even grasp. In fact, it's called resurrection power. Resurrection power, that's interesting. That means that no matter what, even if a situation is dead, God can bring it back to life. I literally could lose my life and God could bring me back to life. That's how powerful he is. I mean, he's got a lot of power. So there's nothing really I should fear because God's power even, compares to nothing else I can fear because it's resurrection power. And the next day you're going to get up and say, you know what? God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power and love. What's love? Oh, I know how I feel about my kids. You know, I'd do anything in the world for my kids. There'd nothing, I'd swim across oceans. Ding, 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 ding. God loves me. He would do anything in the world for me. I mean, he would He would stretch across the oceans. He'd never let the enemy that I, I, I have in my life uh, beat me. God loves me. Can you believe God loves me? He loves me. He loves me. What am I worried about? If God has all this power, resurrection power, and he has love that can't be stopped, it doesn't make any sense that I would live in fear anymore. But listen, you're gonna wake up the next day, God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Sound mind? Sound mind means I get to make a decision about what happens in my mind, which means today if fear comes to knock on my door, I'm gonna say, sorry, fear, you're not allowed in today. Why? Because I'm back in control. I know you've been in control for a few years, but I'm in control now because I got a God who gave himself for me and he's got power that's resurrection strength and I don't have to be at your will any longer. And now I've moved from... From something I know to now when I'm walking through the office, all of a sudden a fearful thought comes in. I don't have to pull out my phone. I don't have to pull out a sheet of paper. I don't have to go to my journal anymore. I just go, God's not giving me a spirit of fear. I'm taking that, fat, that fear back in Jesus' name right now. I've been given power to overcome anything that you claim. And because he loves me so much, I can always count on him. And I got a sound mind. Yes, I got a sound mind. And I refuse to participate in that right now. That is not my God's will for my life. That's what it looks like. Now, look what's happened scientifically. Let me tell you what happened scientifically. Here's what happened scientifically. Scientifically, all those six days, you recruited new neurons that come in and build deeper pathways. And they're literally changing the formation of your brain. But spiritually, what you're doing is you're getting to a place where you're upgrading your thoughts to God's thoughts, where now God goes in and upgrades my words, my thoughts, my feelings, to his thoughts, his words, his feelings, so that when fear comes in, watch this, I now don't need accountability for someone to point it out that it's fear. I know that it's fear and it's not of him. And without even having to think, you don't have to think consciously anymore, you reject the premise and you continue to walk in fruitful thinking. Now listen to me. This may shock you. Many of you, you think you can only know God by Bible study. Listen to me. This may frighten some of you, but it's the truth. You don't know God by Bible study alone. People go to seminary. I was surrounded by them, and they backslide with a Bible in their hand. It's often been said, what good if you know Hebrew, but you don't know him? What good if you know Greek, but you don't know God? Listen to me. You ready? Bible study gives you knowledge about God. Next slide, obedience gives you knowledge of God. You want knowledge of Him? You have to obey. You can't just learn. You say, Craig, how do you know this? Look at Jesus' words in John 14, 21. This is Jesus. This is what he says. John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has come my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will what? Once you've kept his commands, I will come to the one who's living in obedience and I will manifest myself to them. There's, different, there's a difference. So I've been thinking a lot about this. I won't give you all of it. I'll just give you a syn- synopsis and then I'm going to close. Your right side of your brain. It connects and experiences relationship, but it can't label what it experiences. The left side of your brain analyzes and organizes input, but it can't experience it. Now, if what we call discipleship is only about knowing information, we're going to produce disciples who know things they never experience. So they're going to be very heady and no obedience. It's a major problem in the West. So I've been thinking a lot about this, the brain's relationship to disciple-making. I think one of the greatest downfalls of discipleship is that we try to engage wrong parts of the brain, and then we wonder, why in the world is that person not changing? So watch this. If we engage the left side with information, it analyzes, but it doesn't create experiences. If I only engage the right side, it allows connections and experiences, but it's summed up or shunned in the modern church as being you're too emotional. That church is too emotional. Now, we often engage the lower parts of the brain, which is about survival and maintenance. That's called the the bottom layer. We engage this with shoulds and oughts. You should do this. You ought to do that. That's That's what we call legalism. So it keeps me alive, but it doesn't allow me to experience abundant life. You can't experience abundant life in the lower region of your brain. Well, in the upper levels of the brain, that's what we call the limbic system and the cerebral cortex, right? And the limbic system... These are designed for connection with others, for really deep thought, reflection, and experiences. So real growth, listen, real change can only happen in that part of the brain, which means then in ministry, I have to connect with a person personally that then leads them to significant meditation, discussion, and application for them to change. And in the 21st century, ministry has so quickly become way too impersonal. Listen to a podcast, listen to somebody teach a truth, and it ministers to the left side of my brain, and then I deceive myself thinking because I know more, I'm living more. You have to have personal connection, deep connection. You have to then, after connection, have repeated reflection. You then have to discuss... And apply. Sounds like a pretty good prescription for connect groups, doesn't it? What it means to be engaged. Relationship. Be transformed. Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, that seems like a lot of work, Pastor Craig. I got a job, nine to five. I mean, like, how are you supposed to do that? It's work. But it's worth it. But I want you today, as we close, think of it as work. I want to reframe how you think of it. Can I reframe for a moment? Come on up, Caleb. In 1978, Diana Nyad attempted for the first time to swim the Florida Strait, 110 miles from Cuba to Florida, the Keys. Well, she made it 78 miles. She's almost there. Before the wind got so large, she had to stop, and she gave up that dream of swimming, being the first person to ever swim the Florida Strait. And that dream lay dormant for 30 years. At 60 years of age, she tried for the second time. It's 110 miles. She gets 40 miles in. She ends up having an asthma attack in the ocean. She had to end. She tries two more times. Both were ended early because she kept getting stung by jellyfish. I'm going to show you a picture of Diana Nyad. Okay, this is the straight, by the way. Let's just show the, the picture of the straight. 100, 103, that says 103. It's about 110 miles, about the distance of four marathons, but you're swimming. You're not running from Havana to Key West. Let me show you a picture, next slide, of Diana Nyad. Finally, what happens? Go to the next slide, by the way, and look at this dehydration. Now go back one slide. On her fifth time at 63, 64 years old, she tries for the fifth time to swim from Cuba to Key West. It took her 53 hours. Y'all, I, how, do you, how do you do that in spite of failing? How do you do what no one's ever done? How do you do that at 64? Y'all, I struggle to get out of bed in the morning. I'm 37. She was, I, I have to, I have to I'm, I'm to the point where I have to turn over on my side and lean up like this. I can't even go this way anymore in my lower back. Okay? I'm 37. She was asked that question and she said, Oh, it's easy. Traces back to my fifth birthday. Fifth birthday, Diana? Her father, catch this name, Aristotle yet, Nyad, invited her into his study. He put her up on his lap, five years old, and opened up an unabridged dictionary. And he opened up to the original phrasing of her last name. Nyad, not N-Y-A-D, but N-I-A-I-D. Nyad. And he said, today I'm going to tell you something that will be the most important thing I'll ever tell you in your life, daughter. And he showed her name. And then he showed her the first definition of Nyad. The first definition, you can look it up today, was a Greek mythology Nyad that protected the lake's waters for the gods. Then he got that five-year-old's eyes and he grabbed his finger and he went down to the second definition. And the second definition said, a female championship swimmer. And he looked at her and he winked and said, this, my daughter, is your destiny. So let me ask you a question how somebody does something that's never been done. How does somebody continue on when everybody else falls? How does someone have the sustainability and the persistence to keep going when everybody else quits? It's because at some point, her father's thoughts became her thoughts. At some point, I don't know when it was, the thoughts of her father so invaded her consciousness until her daddy's Reality becomes her reality until her dad's understanding becomes her understanding. And when your daddy's thoughts become your thoughts, you will travail and you will persevere in spite of sharks and jellyfish and, and hallucinations and dehydration. Her thoughts finally align with her father's thoughts. Listen to me. Listen to me. What I'm preaching today is not a mental exercise. This is just simply allowing your heavenly father and what he said about you to actually transform and be in imprinted upon your soul that he has set for you before you were ever in existence you have to let him imprint it on you listen you're not showing up tomorrow morning to read through a text you're showing up to let his words wash over you you, why so that that you can inherit every single promise he has for you and those who do it will eat of the fruit and those who don't do it you're going to eat and live with bitter fruit So your next step is replacing these patterns of unfruitful thinking. But listen, he renews, you read. You consume his word, he does the changing. You don't have to change you. You just have to fill your mind with his thoughts and he'll do all the work. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, Be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.